Dan Forrest is one of the most acclaimed and widely performed choral composers working today. And he joins us this morning for Biscuits and Bach. Uh, So it's great to have you uh, stopping by this morning. Thank you. Glad to join you, Rachel. So the question I'm interested in for you, Dan, um, is because you're a choral composer and Bach uh, wrote so many important choral works and, in fact, had to compose almost every week (laughs) for the church, Mm -hmm. Um, I'm just curious, you know, what... uh, what Bach's choral music means for a composer like you working in the 21st century? The, there there are so many applications there. <laughs> um, two that come to mind. One is the way that Bach set hymn tunes. I, I do a fair amount of work in church music as well as concert music and like blurring the lines between the two. And I think the way that Bach wrote um, in the chorale prelude style where hymn tunes just gets stretched out kind of in slow motion with all this other material around it. Um, that's been a, a deep inspiration for me from the time that I first encountered those. If we think of like uh, Yezu, Joy of Man's Desiring, if you ask someone to hum that, what they probably hum is da 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 That's not actually the the chorale tune is da 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 da. But there's all these other notes swirling all around that just present that, and it's like taking a diamond of a of a hymn tune and then making this wonderful setting that's just going to hold it up so it sparkles in a way that we never could have seen it sparkle if it were just sitting there by itself. So even in my my church writing, I think a lot of times I'm trying to create those kind of settings that have this other material that then holds up this hymn tune in a new light. Bach was also very formative for me, um, even in my college days, as I started learning kind of the craft of composing. Every um, harmony class, every theory class, we would open by singing a Bach chorale um, in in the, the class I was in. And we would look at those not just in terms of chords, like how the notes stack up to create a sonority, but also in terms of line and how beautiful just the tenor part was or just the alto part was. And even if the ten- the sopranos had all the glory in, <laughs> in singing the main melody, um, every other part had such a beautiful line. And it was really like four great melodies all at once rather than just a soprano melody with chords underneath it. And I would like to think that my writing is infused with that sort of value system where everybody has a beautiful line. So I don't think you can write choral music without tipping your hat deeply to Bach. Is it the case that Bach did that? It was one of the first or maybe the first person to do that? Or did he just do it better than anybody else had done it before? Wow. that That's a really good question. And I don't know that I'm qualified to answer it. <laughs> I think you can certainly look back all the way to... Um, you know, Palestrina and and, um, many decades before Bach to see people writing beautiful lines. But it seems like in Bach, the the intersection of that vertical stacking and the the horizontal line in homophonic music, where it's just kind of one chord to another chord to another chord, that's where it really all came together in a way that became a model for the rest of the tonal era. So I, I think our teaching tends to look at him for those models because they're very easy to understand they feel close to home. The, the progressions feel similar to the rest of the common practice era. Um, and yet there is such beautiful attention to line because of the composers that came before him. It's it's always interesting to me to hear people like you talk about his music because um, it's clear th- that he is he is sort of a, um, 
what is it? The Slonimsky uh, Baker's Dictionary calls him the supreme lawgiver of music. I mean, <laughs> he is sort of a starting point for a lot of people. So it's yeah. always interesting to hear what a professional musician has to say about sure. that. Sure. I mean, in my like I say in my theory class, we didn't sing Palestrina motets so much as Bach chorales. You know, it's it's such a useful starting point. And even after all these years, you know, you still come back to those and look at the sheer beauty of how those are constructed. And that's just his chorales, you know, <laughs> let alone much, much deeper works like St. Matthew Passion or something with the same principles are involved, but on such a grander scale. And then, like you say, writing a cantata every week, I just can't even fathom. It takes me a month or two to write just one choir anthem, <laughs> let alone a cantata every week. Wow. Yeah, that was one thing I was wondering about is like that pace. Does anybody have to keep that pace now in creating music? Not that I've encountered. <laughs> I mean, I could maybe write one hymn improvisation a week or something, but an entire cantata with all this florid counterpoint. Yeah, we just stand in awe. Yeah. Well, I'm going to ask you a question that has really very little to do with Bach. And um, since, you know, you are a musician, a working musician, have a lot of performances, um, are you able to eat a good Sunday breakfast? <laughs> No. <laughs> I usually wolf down a very small bowl of cereal before I run out the door to an early choir rehearsal at church. <laughs> but maybe if I lived closer to Davidson, I would enjoy a little more biscuits and bock. You can stream us online. There you go. Does the food come too? Uh, no. We just talk about it and okay. make you hungry. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> if you could have a good Sunday morning breakfast, what would you have? Oh, biscuits would be fine. Or maybe croissants. With Nutella. That sounds good to me. <laughs> well, Dan Forrest, thank you very much for uh, chatting with us this morning. Glad to be here. Thank you.